Hello and welcome to the Wonder Woman podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I am your host. Every week I bring you two interviews of female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all around the world. Today's guest is Leah Arapach. She is a metal sculptor living in Oakland, California. Uh, great time chatting with Leah. She does some really unique pieces. So um, make sure you stick around to the end so you know how to find her on Instagram and all of that good stuff and, and find the links on how to follow along with her because you will not be disappointed with the sculptures that she creates. Uh, before we hop into the interview with Leah, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much. Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Christina B, Jeremy Spies, Sammy Go Sammy Lee, Sven Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Toolmom Bonnie, Toolmomstore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly Reclaim Living Store, Brandy Studio Obey, Kathy One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support, helping to produce two episodes a week every week. Um, I do want to start, I'll, I'll remind you at the end, but I want to let you know that have a hangout coming up, uh, online hangout coming up for all the patrons over on Patreon. It will be on Saturday, May 15th at 9.30 a.m. Central Standard Time or 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, again, I'll remind you at the end, but that virtual hangout is coming up. So mark your calendars. And if you're not a patron yet, go check out how to become one over at patreon.com forward slash wonder women pod and that's women with an en instead of an an so join up over there and you'll have access to that virtual hangout all right with no further ado here is leah well i always start with having my guests introduce themselves so when you are ready i'm gonna let you do that Okay. Um, my name is Leah Arpach. I am 33 years old and I'm a metal sculptor out of Oakland, California. Awesome. How long have you been in Oakland? I've been in Oakland for 10 years now. Bay Area for 11, but Oakland for 10. Okay. Okay. I've skirted close to Oakland. I've never actually been in uh, Oakland. San Jose was the closest i ever got oh yeah that's pretty close yeah oakland is the best it's my home for life for sure (laughs) i love it here there's actually quite a few artists in that area um yeah i'm trying i've had 
um, a couple actually on the podcast. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Ariana of um, Zanali. Yeah. Zanali Glass. She does like architectural um, glass restoration. Uh, right pretty, on. Pretty fantastic stuff. But yeah, she's also in Oakland. Interesting. Uh, I'll have to check her out. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, Leah, tell me, tell me your story. What's your story starting at the beginning? Well, um, I started art school in 2005. Um, and I went to Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia. Um, and I was there for three years and I was majoring in painting, but I was, while I was there, I was also dabbling in sculpture because it was sort of something you had to do. Um, and I slowly started gravitating towards it and was like, this sounds amazing, but this is, we're getting further and further away from a profession where I can make money. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if, you know, like I, I told my parents I was going there for architecture and within a semester I was a painting major and was like, I don't know if I can fully lean in and be a sculptor now. Um, but I wound up transferring out of there and transferring to Academy of Art University in San Francisco, and mostly because they had a robust sculpture department and um, like a good metals department. So in the back of my mind, I kind of knew I was heading in that direction, but was still kind of identifying as a painter um, because I had made that commitment in my mind and, you know, when you're in your twenties, when you're 21, like you think because you've made a decision, it's the end. And it's like, yeah, you, then you start realizing you're just a baby and you can still make plenty of decisions and, and change your mind. Um, so, so yeah. So when I was there, I started again, taking sculpture classes and the sculpture department basically was like, you should, you really need to come into our department. Like we, you know, you can still paint if you want, but like, are you happy over there or would you rather be over here with us? And I was like, I'd rather be over there with you guys. So, um, yeah, I made that switch and sort of completely leaned in and then, um, right off the bat was specializing in metal art while I was there. So Did that you have me- any like experience with any of that, like prior to college? No, um, my first, I mean, my parents were pretty creative. My mom had a home store and my dad was always building, um, furniture and stuff like that. Like he, he had a full woodworking shop and he was a mechanic. So he is a mechanic. Um, so I was around a lot of creativity and DIY and, you know, my parents were always making things. Um, but no, like I'm the first welder in my family. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that was just a matter of, you know, sculptors, you know, my, my sculpture professors at SCAD being like, you should try this and getting me into it. And then, yeah, just encouragement from mentors, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask a little bit about like, what was the, I mean, you said there was a little fear around like, could you make money if you leaned into yeah. the sculpture piece? Was there, I mean, was, what was the fear around that? What was in the back of your mind saying you couldn't by doing that? Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think that 
you know, it's just, it's very rare to find a successful sculptor, right? Like in the fine arts world, you know, I know a lot of painters that are making money. Um, I know very few sculptors that are making money that aren't building monuments, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's not really an avenue that I wanted to go down. But even before that, I think when I was at SCAD, the reason you couldn't major in sculpture at that particular school you if you wanted to major in sculpture you had to move to the Atlanta campus was because that particular school felt that they couldn't offer sculpture as a major and stick with their mission statement of providing you with like a lucrative um way forward in Mm -hmm. life so that was just that was their you know um designation was like mm-hmm. sculpture is not a lucrative uh, business and like, therefore we can't, you know, we can't include it in our mission statement, mm-hmm. um, which kind of set the tone for me. But, um, you know, I think that the reality when I got to Academy is that that's not true, you know, um, because straight out of school, I got a job as a commercial fabricator and, you know, that was absolutely within my wheelhouse and a way for me to get paid and learn as I'm, you know, as I'm working and, um, you know, you can, you can make a good living as a metal fabricator actually turns out. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. There's quite a few, um, people, I think like for me, I come from more of like a industrial, like background, like manufacturing background. And so when I think of metalworking, I think like welders and, and, you know, people, doing fabrication in an industrial sense. Um, But I don't think, and you think trade school, I guess, when I think that, right? Like I think the people who are like different levels of certifications of welders and stuff like that. Um, So it's it's like, you, I guess you don't necessarily understand that unless maybe you're coming from the other side of it, that the art world can feed into that as well. Yeah, I mean, it certainly can. And I think that I'm also in a really good area for that. I mean, like, first of all, if I knew I wanted to be a metal artist, I probably could have saved myself a lot of money just by going to a trade school and learning how to weld there. But I still think that there's a lot of valuable lessons that I learned about how to sculpt in general that I bring to my work, you know, so I don't, I don't know. I don't regret my education, but I, I do think that um, like younger people that are looking to get into it, I'm hoping they have a more affordable avenue of doing that. And I, I hope to be able to provide them with mentorship at some point when I, at, you know, later on in my career. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's definitely, I guess because the Bay Area, there's so many metal artists here too, right? Like there's a lot of sculptures being built here um, that, um it's a lot more acceptable that that would be a very, you know, important cornerstone of sculpture is, is welding. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I never really saw it any other way because, you know, having gone to Academy and that being the attitude in the sculpture department, I never really realized that, you know, there was another avenue to even learn welding. It hadn't occurred to me until I was much, you know, much past my art career or my, my art school time. Right. So- so, I mean, I want to ask a little bit about that, too, because, um, uh, you know, this is definitely not in my wheelhouse as far as, like, knowing what this looks like in in the school world or university world. But, like, 
the when you went to academy it sounds like i mean they had a fully equipped like metals shop um and people to teach you the skills to do yeah. that work um did you have to like did you have to work with other mediums as well or were you able to just yeah. work with metal okay no you i mean you have to you, as you get like further into your um into your major then you're doing sort of like directed studies where you're just pairing up with a metal instructor and you're you're in their welding classes and you're kind of more free to do what you want but they want you to be interdisciplinary and I think that that is really important so I had to take a lot of ceramics classes glaze technology um they didn't have a really robust woodworking program while I was there and they were just starting to sort of incorporate that in which I feel would have been um, a really good skill for me to know. Like I still, I mean, my friend Sharon basically forced me to use a table saw for the first time the other day. And I'm still really afraid of that machine and, uh, just not, not very comfortable with woodworking tools. And as it turns out, like they're really, you know, that, that would have been really important as far as like building out a shop, you always need to have those skills, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, and then I had to do jewelry classes, uh, at, at Academy as well. Cause, um, they basically were like, you can't, you can't major in, um, metal arts and not know how to solder. Like you have to do that, even if you don't want to make jewelry, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but all of that really fed into my work in a, in a big way too, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so, okay. So post college, you mentioned it briefly, but so what, I mean, what'd you go into right off the bat and how has that kind of morphed over time? Yeah. So, um, well, I had a, a brief stint where I was doing this, um, series for fashion week and that was jewelry stuff. And, you know, when I, when I was about to graduate, I was getting tapped by my instructors to work with metal artists around the Bay area that were looking to hire another fabricator. Um, so I was really excited to be in that position, but by the time I got back from New York, those positions had already been filled. It's pretty competitive out here, you know? Um, so I ultimately wound up at a shop called Brian Martin metals and, um, and basically began an incredibly important three-year journey of learning, you know, that you could basically do anything with steel. And um, I think that that was mostly because I had a very visionary mentor. Brian Martin is an incredible metal fabricator and a metal sculptor. And we were doing commercial work. Um, and within the three years that I was there, I, I moved up to like lead fabricator of his shop. And um, we were just doing everything from, architectural stuff, railings, but a lot of custom furniture mm -hmm. and furniture is, it was an extremely fun thing to build. I mean, I really want to get back to furniture because I haven't built anything um, in that realm in a while, but it's just a really amazing way to cut your teeth, you know, because you're just continuously maybe building the same table over and over again, and you're getting faster and faster and better and better at it, you know? And um, I think that oftentimes like taking the creative aspect out of it relieves the pressure of having to, to, to do that part of it. And you can just work on the craftsmanship of it. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, I was doing a lot of like angle iron sculptures when I graduated college. And then, you know, after building about 250 tables for Brian, I started making um, a lot more organic, competent work like Mm -hmm. this praying mantis behind me, actually. (laughs) Yeah. So that training meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Where did you move on from? from there um well brian at that point was he was getting ready to move to australia Mm -hmm. um and you know the idea was that maybe i would be helping him run his shop here while he opened another shop there um and at that point i was basically like i think i want to open my own shop and you know not not have you depend on, like, I, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want him to count on me and then for me to leave like two months later. So, um, yeah, I opened my own shop in Berkeley. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Brian was the kind of mentor that was like, well, I'd be disappointed if you didn't outgrow this place at some point. So like Mm -hmm. anything you need to get your shop started, like you let me know. And, um, yeah. So then I, then I went out on my own. What has that journey been like? Because um, there's definitely, right, there's your <clears throat> your skills at fabricating. Uh, but then there's like the whole business aspect of running yeah. your own space. So what's that journey been like? Um, well, I was, I mean, this at Brian's shop, he also had an amazing operations manager that was constantly trained. Like he was also mentoring me and being like, don't do that. Or like, ideally you would not have that happen. Like, so they were helping me, um, learn about opportunity cost and like what things should cost and how, how long things should take. But then that kind of all goes off the rails when you're making a sculpture anyways, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for a long time, I was making these sculptures that were about 300 hours to build. And they're just so incredibly expensive and unaffordable that I've since started shifting and realizing that um, I'm not just making these pieces for me, I'm making them ideally so that other people can enjoy them as well. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that I'm necessarily a, a mover and shaker and a good business person. I'm not turning a profit at my shop ever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I think it's really hard to be an artist and a good business person. Like I, I finally understand that cliche that everyone's like, Oh no, no. Like artists are terrible business people. And it's like, yeah, because you really kind of can't be, you, you know, unless you're doing a very commercial, um, unless you're, unless your practice is somewhat commercial, like it's really hard to just make money, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, you're going with the ebb and flow of a completely crazy industry. Like the art world is just so bizarre and like unpredictable. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I mean, they taught me a lot about investing in equipment and running a pretty tight ship as far as my overhead goes. Um, and Brian was really good at teaching me how to do anything with very little. So I have the attitude that like, I don't want to buy a piece of equipment unless I absolutely need it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I would like to have as little amount of baggage as possible, you know, cause shop security is definitely a thing in the Bay area too. Like 
the more thousands of pounds worth of equipment you have to move if you lose your shop, like the more it's going to be a difficult endeavor for you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm running a successful business, but my art practice has been um, pretty strong because of the lessons that I learned at Brian's shop. tell you a little bit about today's episode's sponsor, Athena Outfitters. So when I'm in the market for a new pair of work boots, I do a ton of research, make sure I'm getting something that's going to fit right and going to last. Well, Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that has a tons of experience with footwear. They've taken the time to select the very best shoes and boots made by each of the most reliable footwear brands. And when I shop at Athena Outfitters site, it saves me time and energy because I trust that they found the best shoes for every job and activity. Plus bonus, you can shop online. So next time you need new work boots or some other type of high performance shoe, check out athenaoutfitters.com, uh, gear with grit, and Athena is A-T-H-E-N-A, and then outfitters.com. You can also get a special discount at checkout by using the coupon code MM, that's capital M, capital M15 for 15% off any purchase just because you're a listener of the podcast. All right, let's hop back into the episode. Okay. And is that, I mean, <clears throat> I guess what, what are you predominantly making or doing in your, in your shop? Are you doing, you know, strictly art pieces? Or are you doing some of what, the things you were doing with Brian? Um, so I'm just full-time sculpture these okay. days. Um, and as much as I, every once in a while, feel like I'd really like to make some money and, you know, start thinking about something functional or a piece of furniture that would be really like crazy sculptural. Um, I've never quite, I haven't quite gotten there yet. Like, I feel like that's way down the line again. I don't know, um, how to explain that really, but it's, it's going to be very hard to do what I'm trying to do furniture wise. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, right now I I'm only making sculptures in my, in my shop. And of all of your design, or do you do any sculptural fabrication work for other artists? All of my own design. Yeah. Okay. I've been very lucky. Um, Cause my husband is a lawyer, so I can sort of, um, I don't have to make, I don't have to necessarily make beyond my overhead in my shop mm -hmm. annually right now. I mean, ideal, the, the plan is for me to become a successful business, but you know, it's really hard to do as a, a metal sculptor, you know, mm -hmm. I think um, kind of what you said earlier though, it's, it's really hard to do as an artist period. Like, yeah. Um, for whatever reason, people don't value the time you put into things I think I think they look yeah. at they look at what you make and think 
materials only, not the, not the time it took, sure. not just to make that, but the time it took for you to gain the expertise in order to make that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, you know, I think that we've also, as a country, become very acclimated to how much things cost when they're made in China mm-hmm. or like the fast furniture of like Ikea. And it's like, you know, you can't have a table for $45 if right. it's coming from somebody who's making it by hand in America. And people have really lost perspective on that. So that has been a very difficult thing that I've seen across the industry, you know, um, mm-hmm. even when we, even when I was working for Brian, people were always like, can you do it for cheaper? And it's like, no, we really can't. <laughs> right. We're really giving it to you for as little amount of money as we can possibly without us paying you for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's been challenging and I'm sure you've experienced that as well in the, in the woodworking industry. Yeah. I mean, enough. So in, in that I've had to I guess pivot and say, okay, maybe, maybe that dream of like designing and making furniture is not the dream I need to like chase after because um, it's not easy and not to say like, I want to chase after what's easy, but it's just, it's extremely difficult (laughs) to break into that that market and to get people to pay you for what you're worth and all of that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I I think that a a few things like the one is that I just started, um, I guess I would call it, 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 for lack of a better term, blacksmithing. So like for the longest time, I was just fabricating these pieces. And that's why they're taking 300 hours, because I was building these shapes the hard way, but I didn't have access to a forge. So I moved shops in 2018 and moved in with one of my friends who is a bladesmith and had all this access to these new tools and have since started dabbling in that. And now I'm um, actually like seeking out training in that. Um, But that is making quick work of getting these shapes as opposed to welding and grinding them together, you know? Um, so that's actually helping me keep my prices. Like I'm just, I'm just having to figure out ways to make my work less expensive. That's the only way that I can see that I'm going to sell work, you know? Um, but at the same time, you know, one of my very close friends, Carl Saar, he's, he, he can sculpt. We are very similar in our styles. So Mm -hmm. it's not fair for me. I can't just screw up his market by charging less and less for my work. You know what I mean? So there's, um, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. It's complicated. Yeah. I definitely see that in the woodworking world too. Like the few times I've, um, you know, done wholesale or had pieces, um, available for sale on like showroom floors and like those showrooms then also curated like other woodworkers pieces. Mm -hmm. And like, basically you could put something of mine next to something very similar and they would be charging like a third of the price yeah. as what I would be charging. And I mean, it, I guess I would, I would get upset in several ways. I would get upset for one, because I'd be like, you made, you're making as the person who made that no money, absolutely yeah. no money on that. Um, <clears throat> and then you're also affecting the rest of us. Because the average consumer doesn't understand, 
like for one, they don't, they also don't understand necessarily the level of quality difference between the two pieces. Like mm -hmm. I can look and say, okay, you know, they didn't like sand it as much as I did, or they didn't, whatever. I could point out the things that it was maybe not as high of quality, but the yeah. average consumer doesn't know that. <laughs> and so they just yeah. see the two price tags and they go for the cheapest one. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and I think that that's something that I'm sort of hoping um, will come to pass with the popular popularization of like YouTube and podcasts. And, mm -hmm. and the more we have these conversations and the more people start to learn the difference between those crafts um, and, and, and like the level of craftsmanship because mm -hmm. they're seeing it in YouTube videos and they're able to actually see and discern it because all it really is, is about teaching them how to see. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what we're taught to do. That's how we in enhance our craftsmanship. Right. right? Um, so I think that that is really going to be um, key and, and helpful for people to sort of start understanding what, like how long things take and what the difference between something that's really high end versus mm -hmm. something that's like really, you know, quick and quick and dirty, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And I'm really hoping that that will, that will, you know, the people that are enthusiastic about it and interested and, and potential collectors, they will start to understand the difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, are you working on like a commission basis or are you like you create and then you're hoping the market finds you? The second one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, um, well, I, I will say that this year things have really picked up for me. So, um, I've got a couple pieces in a museum up in Seattle right now. And then I have four sculptures in a gallery in Berkeley. And then I have two sculptures that's, that are going to a gallery in Sacramento. And that's a pretty big deal for me because about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer it's hard to tell time is blurring really <laughs> hard these days. Um, I couldn't get one steel sculpture into a gallery or museum. So I do feel like things are kind of picking up. I like to operate under uh, a process of sort of building a piece and just hoping somebody will buy that particular mm -hmm. piece because I don't know. I think that psychologically I can't handle the pressure of, you know, disappointing someone. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, I'd be open to it. I think it just has to, I think that people have to understand that I'm a creepy weirdo. Like I want to make monsters, you know, <laughs> like I can't do a portrait of your family necessarily right. and steal. Like that's, that's not something that um, if I can't, if I'm not going to have fun doing it, I'm going to be, I'm going to do a terrible job, right. you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally totally get it I was I'm also generally that that second one where I yeah. make and then I hope that the market finds me um and that's not to say like I you know don't hustle my butt off trying to get like it out there for hopefully that just the right person to see what I make but yeah um it's that's difficult I can understand why people so many people take commissions um yeah <clears throat> However, I'm, yeah, I'm the same way. I guess I've, I've really, what it boils down to is I've realized I just don't like people well enough to yeah. deal with, with them, yeah. like directing my creative process. Like, yeah, I just can't, I'm sorry. I just yeah. Can't. <laughs> I, I totally understand. I mean, I think that like, 
what what a lot of people don't realize is like we we've intentionally chosen professions where we're back of the house you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I don't mm-hmm. really necessarily want to talk to people or deal with people or have them infiltrating my process <laughs> unless they're my mentors, you know? Right, um, right. so yeah, so that, I mean, that, that I, I haven't really welcomed commissions and I'm, I'm not sure if I would open up to that at some point. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know that there are sculptors like Al Faro. He's a super, um, famous metal sculptor. He's been around for ages you just get on his list and you get what you get, like mm-hmm. based on what he's making next, you know? And that's, that's pretty incredible that he has that, that kind of fan base and like they have that mm-hmm. kind of faith in his work. Um, but uh, you know, I, I would prefer that people just fall in love with a piece and then want to buy that piece, you right. know? Um, right. Yeah. Well that, what you just described his, like, that's what I had always hoped for. There's a, a few famous, like, studio uh furniture makers um you know former uh studio furniture makers who were the same way it's like you got on got on their list and like whatever they made (laughs) that's what you got yeah Um, and they had no problem paying for that like where do I find that client because that's the client I want to find (laughs) they're eluding me too and I know that they're out there right like I live in the Bay Area. There are tons of rich people here, and I and they're nerds too. Like right. I mean, I'm like I, I just need to get these sci-fi monsters into the right hands, you know. And I I'm I I'm I I'm not. I guess I don't necessarily believe in the meteoric rise anymore, even though it seems more prevalent in like the age of um, like Instagram and YouTube and like mm-hmm. people becoming pretty famous on those um, mm-hmm. platforms, like. I have been doing better with like incremental progress and, Mm -hmm. you know, just working at it and trying to take every opportunity I get and and going with it. But, you know, one of the things that's really been a mission of mine recently is to make affordable work, you know, Um, stop making the 300 hour pieces or make those because those are really fun, but, but ideally make a piece that's under a thousand dollars so that like the average person Mm -hmm. that's already a lot of money to spend on a piece, but it's somewhat affordable, you know? Um, Cause I was just tired of telling all the people that like believe in me and support me that no, you can't afford my work. I mean, that sucks. I don't want to have to have that conversation over and over again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get that. Like 1000%. I mean, the people, friends and family who like support me or want me to make something for them. And they're always like, well, I want to pay you. It usually comes down to a conversation of how about I make this as a gift for you? Because there's no way you can afford the price that (laughs) I need for this. And I will just feel better, like making it as a gift for you rather than like selling myself short on it, like that will build yeah. resentment. So it's like, I'd rather just give it to you. <laughs> isn't it, isn't that fascinating how like zero is better than like not enough? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, and I think that like when I graduated art school, also, I had a lot of friends that were trying to help me out and, um, and I, I don't hold it against them, but they really wanted me to do things that I didn't really want to do, like barbecues and gates and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's like, I, I love that you want to support me, but like, I have no interest in building that thing. And, and even if I did, you know, a gate is not a cheap thing, 
you know, right. right. There's a, I mean, like we, you know, I, I don't have custom like furniture and fabricated stuff in my house, you know? Right. (laughs) So yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's part of been part of my pivot, um, the, over the last year. And so, I mean, I think COVID kind of, I guess the silver lining to me is it's made me sit back and like reevaluate on like, okay, what do I actually enjoy doing? And, you know, what can I do with that? Um, And so it's like, first of all, um, I need to make my own pieces of furniture for my house because I like my aesthetic and I don't have any of those pieces in my house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've slowly started doing some of that, um, and making stuff and then it's like, and then the idea of like being able to teach people to do it themselves, um, I think, is maybe where more I shine because it's it is hard when it's like somebody really admires your work and they're like there's no way they could ever even when you cut all the prices like costs like yeah can ever afford your work but perhaps you can teach them to learn to love it as much as you and then create what they want to create yeah I mean you're already dealing with somebody that like your work is speaking to them um and it's, it's likely that that could translate into them actually wanting to do the work mm-hmm. themselves. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had to get kind of creative and I, I would love to be a mentor one day, but I'm mm-hmm. also like, I, I'm just coming back from the center for metal arts. I was there for a week taking lessons with Pat Quinn because I don't know how to forge. And everyone's like, Oh, Leah's a, a great blacksmith. I'm like, I, I actually don't, I don't blacksmith. Right. Like I, right. I haven't been, I've been throwing sheets into the forge and flailing and like sinking them and raising them and doing all kinds of weird things that I remember from jewelry. But, um, you know, I would, I would love to be a mentor one day, but I feel like I have so much to learn before I could, you know, I could be that for someone else, but that's something that's very important to me that I'll be able to, um, transfer these skills to someone else because so many people have been benevolent and egalitarian with their knowledge of metalworking for me, you know? Um, and I think that that's a gift that you're giving people. Yeah, exactly. So I do, I do want to ask too, I mean, in art school, and then kind of post-art school, what was the like gender makeup in the metal sculpting world? Well, I will say that when I was at Academy, um, the women were holding it down in the metal shop. Like most of my friends, um, I had a couple of MFA females that were in the metal shop um, and it was at least 50-50, but the women seem to be doing slightly better than the men, like as far Mm -hmm. as what they were making. Um, So it was a very equal um, experience there. And I think that like, I'm just, I'm in a bubble, right? Like Oakland Mm -hmm. is one of the most progressive cities in the world. Like there are a ton of female metal fabricators here. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I have a unique experience in the fact that like, it's not unusual necessarily for um, people to see a female metal sculptor or, um, it's not unusual for a female fabricator to be in a shop, any shop that you walk into in the Bay area, which I think is, is pretty badass. 
That is pretty badass. And I I I feel like maybe it gives you all like an advantage in the sense of like you don't have to necessarily deal with that like oh can I talk to your boss type thing or whatever when yeah. somebody walks in, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a few ways that it cuts as an advantage for me because as I feel, as I'm sort of entering this world of all these blacksmiths and finding this community on, on, um, mostly on Instagram, they, I feel like I am getting too much credit. I'm a decent fabricator. I'm an okay sculptor. I'm not by any means like a learned blacksmith. Um, I still have a lot to learn and a lot to, and, and a lot of ways to grow, but they're giving me a lot of opportunities and um, raising a lot of awareness and excitement about my work. And I think that that's because I'm a female and they're really excited to be able to promote some females in the field. Mm -hmm. So like in that sense, I feel like I'm being given a lot of opportunities that I may have not even earned necessarily yet. And I'm willing to, I'm down to earn them. I will (laughs) earn them at some point, but you know, I am seeing that. Oh, and those, those, those guys are all over the country, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm feeling very, uh, I'm feeling very fortunate that they're, that they're excited about my work and, and pushing it. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, as far as being like in the individual shop experience yeah. in the Bay area, um, yeah, it was one of those things where like, it was never surprising necessarily for, um, like nobody ever walked into Brian's shop and was like, Oh, 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 I didn't realize it was a woman that worked here, you know? Right, um, right. And your reputation kind of echoes throughout that community a lot too. So um, a lot of people knew I worked for Brian and sometimes that would actually get us clients when we'd have a, a, an interior design firm where they had, it was mostly females on staff. They were really excited that they're working with a fabrication team where the lead fabricator was a female that meant mm-hmm. something to them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say it doesn't get silly sometimes too, though, <laughs> you know, like I've definitely had some experiences, right. um, you know, I, I remember the day that I went to go buy my first welder and that was a pretty important uh, moment for me in my life. And, uh, you know, the guys that were, were selling it to me were really great. They're young, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but this guy pulls up and he's just like this super old white dude. And he gets out and he's like, we're, we're putting the welder in the back of my truck. And he's like, Oh, who's this welder for? And and they're all like looking and they're just like, Oh no, here we go. And I was like, the welder's for me. And he's like, well, have you ever welded before? And I just kind of looked at him and was like, to, and all of the, like the younger dudes were just kind of covering their faces. Like, Oh my God, he's, Oh shit. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it ultimately like, he left because he's just some random branch supervisor that doesn't right. actually work in the store. Um, and I feel like they kind of spoil me in there, like to overcompensate for that, like horrible experience, you know? Mm -hmm. So even experiences like that, where it's just like, wow, that was incredibly insulting. Um, you know, 99% of the people that were in that situation, um, were, uh, upset by what he had done and said, you know? Mm -hmm. So Today's episode is brought to you by Tool Mom Store. 
www.toolmom.com. Toolmom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, the products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it. It says, Go Girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome, and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. So, okay, there's a couple, a couple things. So, <clears throat> I feel like that I guess where where do you feel where why do you say you haven't necessarily earned the things that you've the opportunities that you've been given or the promotion you know people uh, promoting your work because um, I'm I'm percent sure that if you were a male that I was talking to that verbiage wouldn't be used. Um. <laughs> um well it's not I mean I I will say like I I've, I've worked my ass off and mm -hmm. um I I do think that my metal sculptures are unusual and that they're high level um craftsmanship and and all of that um but the the people that are giving me attention the community that I've been sort of getting kind of like swept into is uh is mostly a blacksmithing community and so that wh why i say that is because the thing that they all um sort of celebrate and promote is it, it are techniques that i am um like five days experience <laughs> i have five days experience with you know what mm -hmm. i mean so um i i'm afraid that i do hear and see comments especially on instagram of people saying oh you know Leah's this excellent blacksmith and it's like that's not true like I I, I want to um I, I want to be clear about you know where my skill set is and if we're talking about fabrication I'll take it if we're talking mm -hmm. about metal sculpture yes but blacksmithing it actually just happens to be something that I'm brand new at and I I am flailing you know so mm -hmm. I don't want to be given the credit of somebody who's been there are really amazing blacksmiths out there um mm -hmm. male and female that probably deserve more notoriety um than I do at this moment but you know it goes back to what how difficult and competitive it is to <laughs> be a metal sculptor and I'm kind of like I'll take it but you know I feel like I need to to be a little bit honest about like um uh where my skills are you know and that's and that's fair and i think there's some level of um i don't can't think of the right word right now but like people i think on social media actually appreciate if somebody is like honest and upfront and says that like oh this skill i only actually have like five days <laughs> under <Yeah>. my belt <laughs> of using this yeah. skill you know yeah. um because people i think appreciate the journey too of watching like you go from yeah. like just getting started to like 
you know, mastering that skill or, or, or somewhere in between. Um, I guess to, I, in, I want to go back to the, you know, your experience with the, the sales manager guy. Besides like them feeling, I guess, bad that that happened. Was there any level of like any of them telling him he was, he shouldn't be speaking that way? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that was very much so like it had occurred to me that even he realized in that moment, like Mm -hmm. he started walking it back as soon as he said it, you know? And they all kind of just looked at him and shook their head and were like, stop, just stop. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and the thing is that like, yeah, I mean, the further, it just feels like the further removed you are from, you know, the guys that are behind the counter that are selling me things and are dealing with me and working with me on my account all the time, they're very acclimated to seeing females go in there and, and shop there. Um, but like somebody who's in that level of like retail management, well, first of all, they're not even really part of our industry. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like they don't Mm -hmm. understand what it is to be me. They don't understand what it is to be you. They're, they're branch managers of retail stores, you know? Um, so, but, uh, yeah, even, even what wasn't really said around me was, what felt pretty, um, obvious that there were conversations when I left and like a concerted effort to, um, make sure that I didn't feel disrespected ever again when I walked Mm -hmm. in there, you know, and now they treat me like I'm a preferred customer, even though I'm small potatoes, (laughs) you know, I go in there for my argon tank once a year, you know, they've got, they've got accounts that are massive, but, Mm -hmm. um, they do treat me like I'm just as important as the, the, um, the bigger clients. So, I do appreciate that. Yeah. What's, I mean, I found you through Instagram, but is there other social media that you um, do outside of Instagram or do you do YouTube? No, I don't. Um, And and I don't even really get on YouTube to watch it all that often. I I mean, at all. And I really need to start doing that. I feel... um, I am admittedly like a total Luddite and it's not that I hate technology. I'm just really bad at it and it's very counterintuitive to me. And, um, I, it's, I've gotten okay at Instagram. Although like I just had a conversation with my friend Roy Scott and I was like, what is a reel? And he was like, girl, (laughs) I need to help you. So like, I, I, um, I, don't even think I could handle another social media mm-hmm. thing. Um, cause I already feel like Instagram has become kind of a, another part-time job for me, you yeah. know, and I, I love it and I get a lot of energy and inspiration from it. Um, but I, I, I could even use improvement on, on that front, you know? So yeah, it's just the Instagram for me. I just recently erased my Facebook cause it just was, <laughs> psychologically tor- torturous for me um and it I'm, wasn't really serving me at all yeah I'm right there with you I've I haven't erased my Facebook account but I took yeah. the app off my phone yeah um I made that decision I don't know it was probably mid last year where I just decided I was like I need to do this for like my mental health well-being yeah <laughs> I took it yeah I took it off my phone um 
and I still utilize it for like groups for the podcasts and stuff like that. Um, but I'm so like not active on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of strange. Like it's, it is weird to me. It's, it seems very generational, right? Like when right. I was a freshman in college, Facebook came out. And so it was like a college thing, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it sort of transformed into this like address book as time went on. And mm-hmm. you, as you're young, you start living all these different lives and living different places and it's good to stay in touch. And then, you know, it went into this era of like boomers getting on there and mm-hmm. uh, like believing everything that they see. <laughs> and it just got extremely tedious. And I was like, I can't do this anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I love Instagram. I really do. I feel like it's been, you know, I went from being kind of an island unto myself um, mm-hmm. and in one year making more friends in, a, in the middle of a global pandemic where I'm completely isolated right. than I, <laughs> than I do any other year, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really helpful and powerful for, for my art practice, I think. So have you found, yeah. Have you found your community of like metal yeah. sculptors and blacksmiths and that kind of group? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's starting to move into real life terms too. So like, you know, going on, um, yeah, I mean, meeting Jeff Fader and Chris Cash and Roy Scott and Carl Sarr and like the list goes on and on and on of all of the amazing metalsmiths that have really reached out and become friends this year. Mm -hmm. But it's like now, um, you know, listening to Pat Quinn talk about the Center for Metal Arts on Jeff's podcast. I was like, this is the guy that I need to go learn from because like going back to what you were saying about being new at something, it's not always easy. It's, you know, I, I would love to just, you know, sort of wallow in the attention I'm getting and, and be like, yes, thank you. I'll take right. it, you know? And instead it's like, I really need to, um, and, and it's good to show people that I'm absolutely brand new at something. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, Pat giving me like a safe place to be brand new at something um, with zero expectations of me coming in there and knowing it all Mm -hmm. um, gave me the opportunity to like create a great foundation for um, like my lifetime ahead in forging, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that's, if you had asked me a year and a half ago, if I'd be like reaching out to someone that I like followed on Instagram and going and flying out to Johnstown, Pennsylvania and spending five days in a row with him without ever having met him, I'd probably be like, no, definitely not. <laughs> you know, cause I'm, I'm an introvert, you right. know, and uh, it was an epic adventure. And then Chris Cash, my friend that um, he has the Axe and Iron podcast, he drove up and saw me and it's just like, these people really, you know, it's hard to explain to my husband too, because he's a lawyer and he, he has an Instagram account, but I, he doesn't actually use it. And he's still of the mind of like stranger danger when it yeah. comes to social media. And he's not fully on board with the mm-hmm. idea that these people that I'm meeting, this community that I'm um, sort of in, like just leaning into are actually people that will probably be lifelong friends for me you know yeah yeah my my wife was the uh, same way for a long time <laughs> a long time until like actually kind of the pandemic like some of the yeah. I mean I've made friends 
in the maker community on Instagram for, you know, years now. And I have had the joy of like seeing them in person at conferences, yeah. and stuff like that. And then growing deeper friends into deeper friends. But like, there's a few, you know, uh, female maker friends that I've made that, Yes, we've met in person, but predominantly, like, we met because they were on my podcast, and then it yeah. grew into, like, a, a friendship from there, all on Instagram, you know? Yeah. It's like, and so it's, it can seem odd, I think, and, and actually, even just 10 years ago, I would have told you, yeah, that's, like, really weird. Like, you yeah. don't know those people, yes. you know? Yes. <laughs> um, but you kind of, like, bond over like you have interest in similar things and like, so you can talk the same language in that regard. Um, And I do believe it's like when you start putting stuff out there, like on Instagram or whatever, your tribe finds you, right. The people that totally get you find you. Absolutely. I I mean, I didn't know that, but now I do, you know, and it's pretty powerful. I mean, it's been it's meant a lot to me because I, mm-hmm. I do feel like I feel alone a lot. Like I, you know, I mean, I'm in this space building my monsters by myself and, you know, it can be very like metal fabrication in general is a very solitary thing mm-hmm. because you have, you know, something over your face, something over your ears, you're not communicating with other people in the room. Um, so it is really has been just incredible for this community mm-hmm. to be opened up and, um, for me to feel like I, I actually belong somewhere. That's, that's a big deal for me. I don't think I really felt that way ever until Mm -hmm. now, you know? Yeah. I mean, to me, I would say the closest experience I had to that before now would be college just because like, that's the only time in your life you're around a bunch of people who are the same age as you. Yeah. You're all going through it together. (laughs) Yeah. You're all going through it together. But even then, I mean, even my like best friend from college, like there's life things that we have in common but like she's like got her master's in English which I'm like no thank you at all yeah no interest whatsoever and you know and she doesn't really have an interest in like what I do or what I enjoy doing too she doesn't necessarily get it um yeah but yeah so until meeting this group of makers which I never would have done if I didn't get on social media um it's it is a group of your own people and even though I'm introverted by nature I still really enjoy geeking out over tools with other like make makers <laughs> totally yeah. totally and I I do think that we will look back at this not even I mean I'm looking back at it now but I think like in years like forward that like we will see the pandemic as having been like a big vehicle for this to sort of um it it was a catalyst effectively Mm -hmm. because you have new podcasts popping up. You have people like their own, like if, if in normal times, I am so, um, I have so many social obligations and, you know, Mm -hmm. things that I need to be doing and places I need to be that, um, it's difficult to spend the time on Instagram, like making friends. And because that just all got shut down at once, it Mm -hmm. gave me, the time and space to, you know, incorporate into a new community. And, and that's not going to change when things open up. Those people are still forever, my friends, you know, and, um, but I think that, yeah, in some ways, you know, just 
just one just minor sil- silver linings of this, mm-hmm. you know, crazy time, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Leah, we're actually at the end of our time what? together. I know. <laughs> that went by fast. <laughs> Uh, but I want to uh, give you the chance to tell everyone, you know, uh, how they can find you on Instagram and see your work. Yeah, um, my Instagram handle is Leah Arapach. It's L-E-A-H-A-R-I-P-O-T-C-H. Um, and yeah, Instagram is the main place you can find me or at my website, leaharapach.com. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. It was fun. Yeah. All right. So again, that was Leah. Make sure you um, check out the links in the description on how you can follow along with her. That's just in the episode description on your podcast app. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can check out the description down below. If you like today's episode or any previous episodes, please, please, please make sure that you hit subscribe, like, comment, head on over to iTunes, leave a review, um, and share with a friend, right? That's how we find new listeners uh, to learn about all of these amazing, amazing makers and all of their stories. So please, 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 please share. Follow along over on Instagram. That is Wonder Women Pod at Wonder Women Pod. And again, women is with an E-N instead of an A-N. So go check that out. And again, uh, check out Patreon forward slash Wonder Women Pod and uh, join up over there. You'll get access to the virtual hangout. That's coming up again on May 15th. That's a Saturday, 9.30 a.m. Central Standard Time, um, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So uh, you get access if you're a patron and we can hang out and chat and talk about what everyone's making and yeah, just have some fun together. All right. When I am not interviewing amazing makers, you can find me designing and making furniture and home decor over at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings across all of the social media platforms, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of them. I'm active on a daily basis though on Instagram and TikTok so you can see like what the current project is. Go check that out. Um, Also, some exciting news coming up. So it's May now, early June, I will be releasing two virtual classes, one uh, power carving magic and the second wood stain rockstar. So learn how, learn about power carving, learn about how to add color to wood and by color, I mean like every color of the rainbow. Um, Those classes will be available They'll be out there. Uh, you can sign up for them and follow along with them at your own pace. So that's really kind of awesome. If this sounds like something you might be interested in, I am generating the waitlist for the class now. So reach out to me again at Freeman Furnishings on Instagram. Send me a direct message. Let me know you want to be added to the waitlist for those classes and I'll get you added and you'll be the first to receive the links when they go live. Um, and uh, starting out at low, low prices uh, to get to get going. So check that out. Let me know. Um, it's Wednesday, so I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. Hope you've had some time in the shop. And I will see you all on Friday with another brand new episode.